bum bum bottom 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 bum
exceptions, like there are beautiful and wonderful fantasy stories that I hold near and dear to my heart. Like Lord of the Rings. No, I don't oh. enjoy Lord of the Rings. Yep, I'm getting that on the record, people. Lisa's anti-Lord of the Rings, even the movies, which are so good. Anti is strong because if you <laughs> love Lord of the Rings, that's great for you. <laughs> <laughs> you don't want to make enemies today. No, but it's not really like um, magical stuff. I don't know. It's hard to explain. It doesn't connect. I know it when I see it, where <laughs> I go like, I know what this is, knights. I don't want to I don't want to see a person in chainmail. I don't want any, to see anybody on a steed. But we just watched The Green Knight uh, with Dev Patel, David Lowry's new film, and you liked that. I love Dev Patel. I think that he is only getting dreamier with age. Yeah, that's a fact. And uh, in this film, it's so beautifully shot and so stylistic. It's a, it's a feast for the eyes. So pretty. And there's a lot of symbolism for me to pick away at. It's a story about putting selfish caution aside so you can really step up and be a hero. But am I going to be talking about Green Knight as one of my favorite films of 2021? No. I I don't think so. Uh, I, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's fair. That's fair. Like, the, I think it's because it all, has all of these arbitrary rules where... Um, they introduce new elements of like, oh, you have to get the head from the bottom of the lake. I don't know. I and think, then, I don't know. I think a lot of genres have arbitrary rules or uh, have a, a particular narrative that they travel upon. I think it is fine, Lisa, for you to say like knights, medieval stories, mythology, fantasy is not your bag. The way that you would say, like, I don't really like gangster films. They don't do it for me. Or I don't like musicals or whatever. Like, everyone has the thing that just does not connect with them emotionally. And for you, you struggle with fantasy. I do. And in particular, medieval knights and Arthurian legend, which I have accepted. I still love you. Thanks. Thank you. I, I Hopefully some of our listeners will still support me and stand behind me. Well, that's on them. <laughs> I do think with mythology and fantasy and medieval fiction, Lisa, uh, it can often come with a lot of backstory and baggage that for the new reader, the new audience member, it's hard to navigate and understand. And in that way, it's a lot like comic books, right? Like when you jump into Thor or Spider-Man or X-Men or whatever, you don't know all the little details and things are going to fly over your head. And that can feel alienating and can build a wall between you and your enjoyment of this thing. And this journey into mystery storyline that we're going to talk about has a lot of baggage that uh, you need to do a little Wikipedia research to truly appreciate the story we're going to talk about here. Yeah, this, this book was challenging for me because... I didn't go back and read anything that led up to this story. I just jumped right in with part one. And actually, my first read all through these six issues, like nothing stuck. Uh -huh. Like I was like, I have no idea what happened yeah. in the context of this story. I did have a good feel for the journey that Loki was on, this idea of reestablishing yourself despite past mistakes or betrayals or reputation. And this idea of being able to introduce yourself as someone 
entirely new right. after a major life change. Yeah. And that's why we selected this story. That's why I selected this story because of what we are currently experiencing with Disney plus and Tom Hiddleston's Loki, the MCU Loki and how that character does not want to be what he was, or he learns not to want to be who he was. Right. And how having a reputation for being untrustworthy locks locks you in when in terms of your options yeah, yeah. of of what you can you what you can do with others right right what you can achieve and so i think that this journey into mystery storyline which is primarily authored by Kieran Gillen uh is a perfect companion piece to the Disney Plus Loki show and the showrunners have acknowledged this as an inspiration to their season of television uh, and, and I'm, I'm actually glad that we're tackling this comic now after having watched all of Loki, right? Because uh, normally these one pod stands that we pair with Disney Plus shows, we do it right at the premiere date. And so we don't have that stuff percolating in our head. And we're not going to make this all about Disney Plus's MCU, but like, it's just, I, I think it's very obvious once you've seen the entire arc of season one of Loki, how well it goes with Journey into Mystery, Kieran Gillen's story. What we have here is a tale of two Lokis. There's the classic Loki, the evil Loki, the Loki that's on the cover of Avengers number one. And there is kid Loki, the resurrected Loki, the Loki who does not want to be the Loki on the cover of Avengers number one. And we've put them in our waiting room. Uh, they are waiting for their session to begin, but before we can finalize their analysis, we got to delve into some serious context, some of that Wikipedia research that I did so we can understand this somewhat convoluted comic book run. I am actually really curious to hear this because <laughs> I'm just like, I read that that story cover to cover to cover to cover. And uh, I was just use, just trying to use context clues like to figure out yeah, what happened. It's like, hard. What does it mean? It's hard. I, I can understand why you, you struggled there. Um, because a lot of this story deals with the fallout from Marvel's Fear Itself crossover, which came out in 2011, about a year before Everything Burns. And where Everything Burns involves merely two titles crossing over, The Mighty Thor and Journey into Mystery, Fear Itself was its own maxi-event series, plus a whole bunch of spin-off tie-in titles. Basically, it was the 2011 version of Marvel. Marvel's Civil War, or the more recent King in Black. Fear itself was also scripted by Matt Fraction. Uh, we <laughs> seemingly can't escape this guy lately here on the podcast, having been discussed recently in our Fantastic Four series, as well as Sex Criminals and our Spider-Man episodes. Obviously, the title is a reference to the famous Franklin Delano Roosevelt quote, the only thing to fear is fear itself. But the basic premise was that Odin's brother, Call, who goes by the grim, slithery moniker, the Serpent, lays claim to Asgard. He takes on not only their armies, but the warriors of Midgard as well, meaning the Avengers, and he attacks them by turning their fear against them. Also, the Serpent drops a bunch of gnarly hammers upon the Earth, transforming characters like Juggernaut and the Hulk into his soldiers, known as the Worthy. Okay, when in doubt, more hammers. Yeah, I mean, like, it's a very silly setup, and, like, the comic isn't great and doesn't succeed necessarily in everything that it wants to do, but it does look rad, right? <laughs> you know, because, like, Odin tricks out guys like Iron Man with Uru Metal, and so it's, like, this destroy 
warrior-like costume for Tony Stark that looks awesome. And, you know, they, of course, destroy the worthy. They are vanquished. And Thor kills the serpent in battle, although he dies in the process. Oh, no, Thor's dead. Yeah. Uh, however, as we learn in the Journey into Mystery tie-in series, Loki, who is in the form of Kid Loki by this point, and we'll get into how that happened in a moment, he travels deep within the roots of the world tree and learns a horrifying possibility. To secure a greater good, he must commit a tremendous evil. And he asks his brother Thor if he should commit this heinous act without revealing what the act is. And Thor says, yes, of course. So in the Fear Itself tie-in story, Journey into Mystery, Loki goes on a series of adventures that puts him in touch with Surtur, his sword Twilight, and he takes the shadow of Twilight and fashions it into a nib, like uh, a nib for a pen, you know, like, right? Uh, And with that pen, he rewrites the serpent's history creating a weakness that allows Thor to slay him, but also leads to Thor's death. Of course, a year later, uh, Thor is up and around walking again, or more accurately, Loki and the Silver Surfer venture into limbo to retrieve him. This allows Loki to free some guilt from that matter and go back to causing more heinous stuff like racking up more guilt. It's tough to change your ways when you really only have one set of skills. (laughs) Yeah, actually, that ties into a conversation I had this week. Uh, I chatted with Steve over at Third Eye Comics, Mm. the guy who owns the, the like one of the biggest shops in the country, right? And he said when COVID happened, uh, he had no choice but to figure it out because if the shop closed, he had no skills and he would be doomed. So Mm. his entire existence relies on the comic book industry's thriving, or at least his store, Third Eye Comics, thriving. And yeah, so he got to work and he did gangbusters during lockdown. So Loki going around doing deals with demons is essentially the same as Steve going like, yeah, we can do curbside pickup. (laughs) Right, exactly. Now, why Kid Loki? How did that happen? Uh, So I've read none of this. And um, like everything in this era of Thor comics, it's hard to understand unless you were there. And even then, still really damn hard to understand. But jumping back to another Marvel crossover series, Siege, the one that took place a year before Fear itself, and we're not even getting into what that book was about at all, folks. I'm sorry. But toward the end of that plot, Loki and a character called the Void uh, were in combat and the Void tore Loki apart right before Thor's eyes. And Loki's last words to Thor were basically, I'm sorry, I'm me, bro. Mm. But then in Hell, Loki removed the name from Hela's book and he was allowed resurrection and he came back in the form of a child, Kid Loki. This version wanted to do better, to be better, and he wanted to learn from the humans in a way that he never did before. He wanted to do what Thor did on Midgard. He wanted to see in the humans what Thor saw in the humans. But This magpie flies into his room one day and explodes. A little key drops to the ground, and through his investigations of that key, Loki follows a trail of breadcrumbs that leads him to a ghostly echo of his former self, the classic evil Loki. This bad guy says his death 
was all part of his plan to return as the child Loki, but kid Loki is like, sorry, jerk, I'm going to do my own thing and transforms this Echo into a magpie himself that he now calls Eichel. Eichel, is that Loki backwards? Is that how you pronounce it? Eichel? I think so. Uh, so, okay, there you go. Uh, yeah, I think that's all you really need to know. Oh, crap. Uh, yes, the All Mothers. Yeah, Odin is no longer ruling Asgard because of the fear itself business. And Freya is the reigning All Mother, but she's joined by two other lovely royals. Basically, Freya is the queen, right? But Gaia is put in charge of watching over Midgard. And Idun? Idun? Is that what you say, Lisa? I've been saying Eden. Eden? Oh, well, I, that, I like that even better. I-D-U-N-N. She's sent out across the world tree to find new homes for the Asgardians. And these three all-mothers basically represent all of Asgardians' interests. Now we're all caught up with Loki and Asgard, and I think we can get into the Everything Burns storyline and Surtur's latest strike against Thor. But before we can do that, of course, we got to talk about how we're approaching this troubling internal war occurring between Loki and Loki, because we're not professional psychologists, we're comic book nerds, and we need help. Lisa. Who's our love expert this week? For this one pod stand, we'll be referring to an article by Ellen Michaud entitled 12 Ways to Forgive Yourself for a Past Mistake, published February 13th, 2019 on prevention.com. I'll try to put that in the show notes. I did provide, if you scroll down in our notes, I did put the full link. I can do it. I can remember. It was actually tricky for me to find a good article for Everything Burns, and I shudder to think what my Google algorithm thinks of me. <laughs> Because uh, I'm typing in how to rebuild trust, how to rebuild trust after a betrayal, how to regain <laughs> trust with yourself, with uh, your family, with your brother. Google knows all about your dark <laughs> secrets uh, at this point, Lisa, thanks to this podcast. I just imagine someone in their cubicle at Google <laughs> going like, what did this woman do and where's the body buried? <laughs> I landed on this article because I think what Loki really needs is to make peace with the magpie of his past self living rent-free in his head and forgiveness and the realization that he's not that person anymore will go a long way to healing his relationship with himself and others. Ellen Michaud is an award-winning Vermont-based journalist who has focused her career on health, psychology, food, faith, and travel, and she spent seven years as editor-at-large at Prevention Magazine. For this article, she spoke to psychologist Fred Luskin, food, PhD, director of Stanford University Forgiveness <laughs> Project, one of the largest, if not the largest, intervention study on interpersonal forgiveness. In that 1998 study, Luskin found that after six 90-minute sessions of forgiveness training, college students were less angry, more hopeful and content, better at managing their emotions, and more overall forgiving, with sustained gains over a 10-week follow-up period. Conclusion, our forgiveness muscle is one that we should be pumping on the reg. Forgiving yourself, though, is its own kind of practice that we should all spend some time with. We all have actions in our past that make us flinch, blush, 
and feel generally squidgy about, whether they are huge, life-altering mistakes or casual, unthinking slights, we would all feel better if we could just move on. What's the biggest obstacle of self-forgiveness, Brad? I don't think you need a PhD for this one. Oh, man. Well, when you set it up like that, Lisa, <laughs> I am going to fail. But I, I think it's self, right? Isn't that the biggest obstacle to self-forgiveness? But, like, what do you feel inside your tum-tum when you can't forgive yourself? Shame? Regret? I, th I think you've got it. The answer is guilt. Uh, yeah, okay, guilt. Okay, yeah, sure. We all carry around guilt and even consider it part of our penance. I've done wrong, so now I'll pay for it by having a sad periodically for the rest of my life. Yeah. But guilt is actually not all that productive. There is a whole section in the article about the price of guilt, but it can be condensed down to that it makes those around you miserable and will make you sick. The best thing you can do for your loved ones is process your emotions and take care of yourself so that you can be your best for them. We have all heard about the physical ramifications of negative emotions. Being heart sick will make your body sick. To forgive yourself doesn't mean that you forget. Take the lessons with you, just leave behind the pain. This is a quote. Forgiveness is a tool to face what we've done in the past, acknowledge our mistakes, and move on. It does not mean that you condone or excuse what happened. It does not mean that you forget, says Luskin. There's a season for our suffering and regret. We have to have that. But the season ends, the world moves on, and we need to move on with it. Drum roll, please. What we've all been waiting for, the 12 ways to forgive yourself. In the interest of not just reciting Michaud's article, I'm going to get into the steps that I think will come up in our session with Loki. And again, we'll have a link in the show notes so you can go look at them right now. Number one is super interesting to me, and that is categorize the offense. When dealing with guilt, we try mostly just to forget, but by thinking objectively about what we what we did, we can gain some emotional distance. According to Luskin, there are four categories of offense, all of which I think um, has to deal with guilt that Loki is carrying. The first is that you fail at some major life task, such as being a good brother to Thor and a good son to Freya. The second is that your actions have hurt someone else, which we're seeing the fallout from yeah. throughout this book. Literally everything is on fire. The third is you've hurt yourself by the way you've led your life. Like he's caused himself a lot of personal sorrow. He doesn't have many close relationships because of his past behavior. And the last is that you didn't do something that you thought you should, mm. which I think he addresses as part of the Leah storyline. He created her as a fiction out of whole cloth, but then didn't give her the happy ending that she deserves. Mm. We're skipping numbers two through five on the greater list, but they mostly relate to the idea of thinking objectively and doing a sort of inventory of the guilt you would like to forgive yourself for. Your feelings, the hurt you caused yourself and others, and what you really want. Number four is interesting because it is recognize unrealistic expectations. When we go on a forgiveness journey, we might have this fantasy that it'll be like we've never 
made the mistake or that will be celebrated somehow for making things right. Right. But this is rarely the case. Numbers 6, 8, and 12 all have to do with strategies to short-circuit those repetitive guilty thoughts so that you can replace them with more positive mental habits like hitting the mental stop button when you feel that old reel playing out again. Try to replace feelings of guilt with feelings of gratitude and so on. Number seven, nine, and 11 all have to do with the process of making amends. They include apologizing without rehashing and rehearsing, doing good going forward in situations where you might've done badly in the past, and putting things into perspective. Number 10, I think is really fitting for Loki because it is lose the wicked witch thing. Mm. Those are Michaud's words, but it has to do with making yourself the bad guy in your own narrative. If you think of yourself as the type of character who is doomed to fail, then that will come to pass. You should look at yourself as more of a sympathetic hero. Number 12 is a great practice because it is to replace guilt with gratitude. Gratitude for the lessons you've learned, the people you love, any privileges that you have. Just make a habit of walking into new situations and identifying things you should feel grateful for. And that's the list. That should serve as something of a starting point for Loki and Loki. I have a few favorites off of that list I'd like to apply to Loki as he's running around trying to clean up the catastrophes of his past self. I think there's also some opportunities for Thor as well. <laughs> for sure. To do a little self-forgiving, especially when he's kicking himself for falling for his baby bros from another Moe's old tricks again. <laughs> but before we can do that, Lisa, we gotta do some words of affirmation. na 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 affirmations. For first time listeners, Lisa, should we explain what the heck the words of affirmation portion of the show actually is? Sure. The words of affirmation are a way we give back to our new and upgrading Patreon subscribers. I curate and use these affirmations for myself, and I'm more than happy to pass them along to you guys. I found these affirmations having to do with the practice of self-forgiveness from prolificliving.com after doing a quick goog. Sometimes, if you want enlightenment, you have to search for it. Yeah, so this show would not be this show without our patrons. We're very thankful to them, and uh, this is our way of giving back. But don't be afraid, listeners, if you're not one of these patrons mentioned, you can still use these words of affirmation for your own benefit. Steve, you release the past so you can step into the future with pure intentions. Dallas Taylor. You trade your anger and rage for understanding and compassion. That last one, I am really going to fold into my own thought process. Something that I have been struggling with during the editing sessions <laughs> of this podcast. A lot of that editing rage or anger really is frustration. And yes. frustration is such a, a complicated emotion. And it's an emotion that I have trouble dealing with as well, where you just feel that pressure inside and you just have to like, ah! you know, I mean, I've been trying to incorporate, you know, Bruce Lee's be water as a mantra. And, uh, it, you know, like what you got to do when you create a mantra is use it. And sometimes when you're at the height of your frustration, you forget to use it. So uh, I'm training myself to go to be water. It's easy to use affirmations and, and use mantras when you are calm and in a really yeah. healthy mental space. But the second, like, 
I, you begin to see red. Like that's that's where the real practice begins. Right, yeah. And practice, 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 practice. You gotta practice. So our thanks to Steve and Dallas for joining our Patreon and having a lot of fun over there with us. Uh gosh, I love our Patreon feed. Our comically reels with Loki are over, but what if is starting back up? Should we do comically reels with what if? I think we gotta do at least a Suicide Squad comically reel episode. That we do, because I have thoughts. Yeah, I've got a lot of thoughts. Uh so yeah, um, we do realize that not everyone can afford to be a patron, and we appreciate that. But if you want to help uh, in another way, you can always reach out via Apple Podcasts, leave us a five-star review. Those ratings really do help us reach more listeners. And uh, gosh, obviously, we thrive on words of affirmation, and we need them as much as anybody. That we do. Oh, hell. That's hell with one L, not two. Because otherwise it would be oh, hell. <laughs> yeah, right. This is just, oh, hell. Oh, yeah. hell. Yeah. Oh, hell. Everything Burns is the crossover event taking place in the Mighty Thor Volume 2, Issues 18 through 22, as well as Journey into Mystery Volume 1, Issues 642 through 645. They're scripted by Matt Fraction and Kieran Gillen, illustrated by Alan Davis, Carmine, oh, uh, you know, I'm Did Carmine. John I'm gonna... Domenico? To John Domenico. That's why we have you here, Lisa. <laughs> Stephanie Hans. The comic is inked by Mark Farmer, Stephanie Hans again, Barry Kitson, and Jay Lyston. Colored by Javier Rodriguez, Stephanie Hans again, Chris Sotomayor, and Will Quintana. And it is lettered by VC's Joe Sabino and VC's Clayton Cowles. This may seem like a stupid question, but what does VC stand for? Uh, I honestly had no idea until you forced me to look it up, Lisa. <laughs> I just assumed that it was a lettering company. And yes, it turns out that's correct. Virtual calligraphy. See, look how much smarter we are. Yeah, I appreciate that. So here is the plot synopsis for Everything Burns taken straight off the paperback. The gods will be turned to ash. The world tree burns as the forces of Surtur, Lord of Muspelheim, scorch the nine realms with the irrepressible blaze of war. Loyalty to blood stands above loyalty to realm as the warriors of Asgardia and Vanaheim battle one another while the ever-hungry flames of rebellion feast on the destruction. And in the heart of conflict stands a boy. The plots and schemes Loki set into motion during his adventures across the Nine Realms come to an explosive conclusion that brings the legendary heroes of myth to their knees. When the god of thunder, Thor, falters in battle, will placing his trust in his beloved brother Loki, the boy god lord of mischief, be Asgardia's salvation? Or its undoing? A little bit of both, it turns out. Yeah, it's complicated, as it always is with these Asgardians. But I think it's time to get our two Lokis into session. Come on in, guys. Let's get on the couch and let's discuss. Actually, for clarity's sake, should we be referring to them as Loki and Loki? Because uh, I realize that's like the heart of this conversation is that this is a person grappling with the acts of their past. But at the same time, I think conversationally, it'll be confusing to say like, yeah, I feel like, you know, when you have two kids, like <laughs> when there's another Brad and you have to be Brad G. Yeah, yeah, you know? right, right. So for clarity's sake, when we are referring to kid Loki, we're going to say Loki. And when we are referring to classic Loki, we're going to say Eichel. I think that works. Yeah, I like that too. So I think we should start in Broxton, Oklahoma, Midgard, Things are, a church is burning, <laughs> birds are falling from the sky, and Eichel is on Loki's shoulder reciting a rhyme. He says, 
he's counting magpies, one for sorrow, one for joy, one for girl. And he goes on to say like, you know where the humans get it wrong. Magpies, when they're in a group, they're not actually a group. Every magpie is still utterly alone. Yeah. And so magpie always stands for sorrow. And I think this is Eichel trying to get into Loki's head to isolate him from his family and reinforce this idea that you are in fact alone. You might be part of Thor's family in name somehow, but you're always going to be full of sorrow. You're always going to be a singular entity with which no one can sympathize or empathize. Right, and where Loki is at this point, he is trying to be part of a community. You know, when he stole Surtur's Twilight Shadow to rewrite history to, to save the day, he was trying to show that he could do good for Asgard and for Midgard. Like he, this was his act of like, I am part of the group, the team, the community. And Eichel's saying that's impossible for you because that is how Eichel sees himself. He is the lone wolf, the lone magpie. I also think that Eichel sees Loki as his way back into the world and back into power. So this is a manipulation. If you're going to manipulate someone, you make them dependent on you and thinking that you are their only ally. Yeah, and as we see at the end of this series, you know, Eichel is uh, playing an evil game of chess. Uh, your favorite uh, evil supervillain <laughs> sport, Lisa. He's uh, also eating an apple and wearing a black hat. <laughs> <laughs> twirling a mustache. Yeah, this is all part of his nefarious plan. In this moment, though, I feel like neither Loki or Eichel completely understands what's happening. There's just all of this foreboding stuff surrounding them. And Loki goes like, Eichel, did you do this? And Eichel's like, I don't know. Kind of seems like the thing I would do. (laughs) Kind of seems like you are somehow responsible for this. And I think that goes back to the being the Wicked Witch, where like something's going awry and, oh, it has to be something that I started because I am the source of all sorrow and pain and inconvenience and frustration. Right. And what Everything Burns is about is th- even these good acts that he supposedly did were creating chaos in the future, the hell that they are living now. But I think the parallel storyline about Freya and Gulliveg and Acer and Vayner and all of the distrust between these two peoples united under one Asgard establishes that there are other incendiary mm. elements mm-hmm. that are fanning this flame of rebellion and discontent. It's not just because of Loki. Yeah, some of Loki's actions did instigate certain things, but all he was doing was putting an ember on something that was already highly flammable and so tense. Right, right, right. Like this story is about more than Loki, but it's also about Eichel's ego and the way Eichel sees it and the way that Eichel is trying to manipulate this scenario is to heap all of Asgard's problems onto Loki's shoulders. So that Loki ends and his reign can return. Right. 
So when this first uh, prologue issue ends and we're in Valhalla with Kelda and Bill and we see that the world tree is on fire, this is a perfect excuse for Eichel to begin his manipulations of Loki. But Eichel is not the only person jockeying for position because we also right. have Gullivag who is leading the angle fire from the Manchester gods into Asgard trying to take back what what is there. So everybody is seeing this flame on the altry as this opportunity, as this weakness. Right. And 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 you know the distrust is spreading like the flame through Asgardia itself. And Volstag's not sure if he can trust Freya. And Hogan's like, how dare you say anything about Freya? You know, like. And and Sif is like, well, I see Loki over there. So how can we trust anything that's happening? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So there's a a deep poison in Asgardia that can't all be traced back to Loki or Eichel. But when Loki sees those angle fire, he goes like, "Uh oh, Thor. We've got to talk because he feels responsible for the existence of these like large flaming robot things. Yeah, like the, the Manchester gods from Otherworld, uh, you know, they represent uh, urbanization, the Industrial Revolution. They're supposed to be the physical manifestation of the cognizance of all of Britain. It's something completely- Oh, uh, Otherworld, yeah, yes, yes. That's where Excalibur and Captain Britain happens, Lisa. Lots of wild comics happen in Otherworld and are affecting Krakoa right now in all the X-Men titles. But they're also being fueled by the flames of Surtur. Which Loki also feels partially responsible for. So the next scene we get is Thor reeling after this massive- info dump slash confession where Loki explains all of the manipulations he had to make to fix everything in fear itself. Yeah, even having read those issues before this, it is an onslaught of information. And I can't imagine how you were like trying to take all that in. Well, uh... Here's what I gather. <laughs> I'll do it in the voice of, so now I'm Thor. So Thor's like, so you've struck deals with Mephisto, Hela, and Surtur to make a weapon of Twilight's shadow, which is, of course, pure fear. And then the All Mothers have sent you to rally support for the Rebellion, but instead of that... You sided with the Manchester gods who have now screwed everybody. Yeah, yeah, you got it. And Loki's like, but I was doing it for good reasons. You, you do things for good reasons. And Thor's like, yeah, but not, not like that. And also you told me to do it, right? Like Thor said like, you know what? I would commit a greater evil to achieve a greater good. And Thor is like exhausted, like, Have you done anything else? (laughs) And Loki's like, yeah, well, I kind of made Leah out of Hela's hand and they've been rejoined and they're both gone. And I freed the Desser (laughs) and uh, but now they've joined Hela. And oh, one more thing. I also freed the Hell Wolf. Oh, yeah. And accidentally let him mate mount 
Garm. Yeah. And that's where my dog Thori came from. But guess what, bro? Named him after you. Yeah. I lo- Thori is one of my favorite uh, spinoffs uh, from Journey into Mystery. And what Jason Aaron goes to do with Thori in his Thor run is really, really beautiful. I love Thori. I love Thori too, but he is not a good dog. Well, you mean, yeah, he's, he's a bad dog. He's murderous, but he's like delightfully so, like Loki. Thor is so sweet to Loki. He loves kid Loki. I think he has kind of like paternal protective feelings. Yeah, I think so. And so Thor's like, I get it. You're the god of chaos or whatever, mischief. Let Big Brother take care of it. I'll get this all straightened out. Uh, Yeah, but then, of course, Loki is like, behind your back, I'm also going to straighten things out by making them way worse. I'm going to throw you in some lava. Just lightly, lightly throw you in some lava. Loki's deadly sin really is what you mentioned earlier, his pride. Mm. Because he never goes about anything exactly the way he's been asked to do it. He always feels like he has to think his way around a situation or spin the situation. He can always improve something. Exactly. And he's only improving it for the present moment. Mm -hmm. And he is always serving the Loki in the present. And he doesn't really (laughs) notice that he's, he's really making things terrible for future Loki. But great for future Eichel. It just leads to a lot of plate spinning. Right, right. So, you know, Thor and Loki then go to uh, Otherworld to talk to Wilson, who is ruling over it at the moment. And 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 he, they're like, you know, you got you to gotta break your deal with Surtur. And Wilson's like, uh, if I break my deal with Surtur, uh, my kingdom is in ruin because I need that fire. And Thor starts yelling at him and goes like, you realize if Asgard falls, everything falls. The entire existence of the whole world. And Loki is like, whoa, 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 Thor, you can't be that mad at Wilson because I am partially responsible for this situation because I'm the person who freed Surtur. Loki is just delighting in taking blame. Well, I think that he has this narrative in his head that I am this great mastermind. I am the villain. I am the bad guy. Which is being massaged by Eichel. Exactly. But at the end of this story ends with Wilson going like, okay, I guess I don't want all of existence ruined. <laughs> so I'm going to stop plugging in my iPad <laughs> to Surtur's hellfire. <laughs> like, so I wonder if Loki had not stepped in at that moment and accept partial responsibility, if Thor would have scared Wilson or convinced mm. Wilson to go like, okay. I mean, yeah. Deals with Surtur are generally bad. Considering where it ends up, you're probably right. Yeah, I think Loki threw himself on a grenade unnecessarily. Yeah, he's saying like, Thor, you've forgiven me. So you have to forgive Wilson. And therefore, nobody is accepting responsibility for the terrible things that we've they've done. And nobody's really making amends. Everybody's just trying to make it right somehow without ever going back on anything. Yeah, but that's because everyone is acting in secrecy, okay? So back in Asgard, Volstagg has been delivered this magic mirror iPad that shows 
All-Mother conspiring with Loki, who is conspiring with Surtur. And now the truth is out, all the, or at least a portion of the truth is out. It, like, the truth is never out, out, and that's the big problem. And Thor is brokenhearted because he thought that he knew the sum total of everything that Loki was up to. And so by that omission, the omission of that circumstance, now everything that Loki said to make it right in the previous scene right. is now null and yeah, void. Yeah, Thor, Loki is never going to tell you everything, okay? <laughs> I think everybody, like, there's, everybody is editing themselves all of the time. And they're doing it for selfish reasons, for unselfish reasons, trying to protect, like, there is never a situation where everybody is going to say everything all of the time. And I think that- That's even outside of this comic. That's just life. Li that's just life. And so when there's already distrust between two people, uh, it gets harder and harder to shrug off lies of omissions, but omissions happen yeah. all of the time. And I think where forgiveness starts to occur is when we all acknowledge the self-editing that every human being is doing. We're I, all presenting sides to different people. It's hard because you can't, the you never actually start with a clean slate because Thor is carrying so much hurt and scar tissue from his entire relationship with Eichel slash Loki. So all of, so there are there's so many like seeds of doubt. So instead of going like, oh, since this clean slate, these things have come to to fruition, he instead goes, Oh, my forgiveness of you was actually incorrect. My doubt of you was actually the whole truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Thor also self-editing. Thor is also humiliated because he is throwing himself and staking his reputation on Loki being a changed person and Kid mm. Loki being a, this completely different and separate person from his Eichel past. And now... Loki's just embarrassed him in front of all of his friends. It's embarrassing. This issue ends with Fandral going like, well, now we have to arrest the All-Mothers and Volstagg trying to be a politician like, <laughs> okay, well, we can arrest the All-Mothers and we can arrest Loki as well. Yeah, but then just Thor- Just until everything chills out. Thor doesn't want any of that. Yeah. Thor's like, no, we rule by what I want to do. And he tells Loki to run and he begins the fighty fighty. The next issue is a big battle issue. Across all nine realms, we see war, fire, and distrust. But on Niflheim, Thor catches up with Loki, who is trying to get to hell. And they have another bro-to-bro -bro confrontation. Which begins with Thor shoving Loki. And Loki is having to plead with him, like, I didn't want things to go this way. I was just trying to do the right thing. And Thor is like, I believe you, but you have to stop running and trust me because the situation with Surtur is getting out of control. And um, what I think is interesting is Thor's version of Loki trusting him is to like stay very still 
and touch nothing so I can do the hero thing. It's such an aggressive attack. You you point out that shove, that push. Like he plows Loki into the side of that hill and grinds his face into the snow. And then like the way Alan Davis has it uh, uh, laid, laid out is that middle panel on the second tier of panels, it's very thin, it's very claustrophobic. And Thor has pulled Loki to his nose. They are nose to nose. And he's trying to have a quiet, like, just don't you understand, Loki? But it's so aggressive. It's so physical. It's, 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 it's painful. He's trying to intimidate Loki into being more trust, like being what to do what he wants him to do. And it's uncomfortable. And like, I just don't like Thor in this moment. I think he's ultimately just pushing Loki towards Eichel going like, yeah, well, if I come forward and I do this big confession and I say all of these vulnerable things, I'm ultimately just going to end up paying for it because my next mistake is going to have Thor flying off the handle. And I think what we've been talking about is that Thor is also in a cycle of narrative, Mm -hmm. right? He can't escape his own written history of Eichel, you know, in Loki before him. I think that he has guilt for bringing Loki back. Sure, sure, sure. And, and, and you know, he, uh, this, this is now, he's now taking the blame of Loki onto himself, which is something that Thor has written into his narrative. Meanwhile, in Muspelheim, we see something that Loki has written into the narrative, <laughs> coming back to haunt him. Because it turns out that Leah has been this herald conspiring with Surtur to get her revenge on Loki for some reason. Right. So Leah was this fabrication that occurred when Loki was writing the serpent story with the nib made from Twilight Shadow. And so he wrote her, but he never wrote a future for her. Just this sacrifice that occurred with the Manchester gods. But here she is back wanting revenge for that lack of story. But they're kind of like the same coin or two sides of the same coin, right? They can't resist their sort of like BFF attraction uh, because when they finally meet up and confront each other in the next issue, they end up partnering against Surtur. They want to go in cahoots and pretend to be in a deal with Surtur. But when they make that pact, what happens is Eichel's like, hold up, what? How come you didn't plan this with me? And Loki is like, because I don't trust you because you're me. And I don't trust me because I'm in the middle of a lie right now. (laughs) Because the beginning of this issue, Loki goes to Thor and goes like, went to Hela to ask for her help, didn't really work out, but guess what? I found this portal (laughs) from Otherworld directly to Surtur, and Thor's like, wow, how did you find this portal? And Loki's like, don't worry about that. Because then we get this convenient flashback about how he went back with that fear pen, and he was rewriting the narrative, and he was like, and one day uh, there was this portal, (laughs) and now now it exists. Thor is like, I don't know, this all sounds really dangerous, and Loki is like, no, this is a situation in which I am going to thrive. Like, this is where I do my best work. And this issue ends with Loki taking Thor into Niflheim 
using that portal and there are le like these huge lakes of lava and Thor's like, I don't know if we can cross this. And Loki's like, of course we can cross this. You just follow me. And Thor's like, you know, it reminds me of that fable <laughs> of the scorpion and the frog where the scorpion is like, hey, just take me across this river and uh, and I won't sting you. And Loki's like, this is totally different because <laughs> first of all, there's no swimming in this. This is lava, and I'm your bro. And so Thor's like, okay. Push, splash, in Thor goes. Into the lava, and he's just sinking and burning, burning and sinking and going, Loki! You gotta remember, though, Thor on Niflheim pushed Loki literally into doing this during that conversation where he ground his face into the hill of snow. Thor was essentially telling Loki that he was useless, that there was nothing he can do in this situation. And Loki is like... I'll show you. Exactly. He is only given room to do one thing, which is sneak around Thor's back. Oh, man. And then the next issue, there is some really delicious sneaking. And I'm so glad that Alan Davis is there to illustrate it because Loki goes to have a conversation with Surtur. And, you know, Surtur still thinks that they're in cahoots together. But while they're, like, conspiring, once again, Loki makes a play for Twilight Shadow and grabs the thing behind his back and then skedaddles. What I think is really interesting in that scene is how Surtur describes his plan playing out. Because Loki goes like, hey, I love betraying people. What can I do to make sure that I betray everyone? And Surtur says like, well, make sure that everybody has what they think they need to be ahead. Yeah, yeah. Because the only reason the Acer and the Vayner are united under Asgardia is because they are both, for one reason or another, distrusting and afraid of each other. Right, right. So the second either side feels like they have the advantage, chaos ensues. So if everybody thinks that they have the advantage, then literally the entire in the entire existence burns. Right. But but like also like Loki should be paying attention to those words too because he thinks he needs twilight shadow here. So he thinks he has the upper hand, but like Surtur says like, you know, if you think you have the upper hand, maybe you don't. God forbid everybody get exactly what they want. Thor on the other hand is sinking <laughs> under this lava. That's also somehow the essence of Surtur, which makes it even more so gross. gross. I don't want to be floating in anybody's <laughs> essence. And he is beating himself up for being there because he's going like, man, if Loki was here right now, I would just smack him <laughs> with my hammer for making a fool out of me again. And I'm such an idiot. Loki is as Loki does. And why has Loki betrayed you, his last defender? Because Loki is only in it for himself. And he's just being consumed by demons and drowning in these flames. And then Loki has the gall <laughs> to visit him in a vision. And Thor's like, WTF, bro. And what, what does he tell him? He just says, like, just let yourself drown. Just, just keep drowning. <laughs> I love Loki. Thor's mental state just goes to show 
how deep betrayal cuts. Like one of the worst ways you can hurt someone is to betray their trust because when you do that, they also go like, I am partially responsible for why I'm hurting because I am the kind of idiot who fell for it, right? So no longer, I can know, like Thor can no longer trust Loki and he can also no longer trust himself and trust his judge of other people's mm. characters. So this would be a great moment for Thor to hit that mental stop button and go like, I am now succumbing to repetitive thinking. He's just going like, you know, I'm an idiot. I I feel bad. Now I, I've, by my trusting him, I've contributed to all of this destruction. And what, I mean, I, I think it would be pretty tough to change to a mental state of gratitude. Like, what am I grateful for at this moment? Especially when you're in lava. My hammer. <laughs> uh, my mom, who's right now sitting in a cell. But I do think that, like, if he is going to die in this moment, it would serve him to begin to forgive himself and think I would rather die having dared to love my brother than to live a life of distrust. Well, in the next issue, it's Loki's turn to understand betrayal because they're on the run from the hellhound and he hopes that Thori, his good dog, will lead the hellhound away from him. Thori offers to do it. Right. Thori's like, give me your glove. Right. I'll lead bad daddy away from you. <laughs> and then you have this great scene in a, a cave between Eichel and Loki where Loki is tearful that like he's afraid that Thori is off to be murdered by his daddy. Uh, and, and he's like, you know, Eichel, why can't you ever sacrifice yourself the way that Thori did for me? And Eichel's like, like, what are you, I, you exist. Like I sacrifice. Yeah. You're welcome. You're welcome kid. And then chomp hellhound snacks down on Loki because Thori did not sacrifice himself. Thori betrayed Loki to the hellhound. And that's the last piece of Loki's actions from fear itself literally coming back to bite him in the ass. <laughs> Luckily, Garm with the Desir show up and take him out of that situation and take him to Hela. And Hela's like, you know that time when I told you I wasn't going to help you? Actually, I take that back. I'm gonna send you back in time so that you can go to the Library of the Serpent and one more time, write in that book and set everything straight. Now, why did it take this long for her to come to that conclusion? I don't know, plot mechanics? Like, it, like the next we see Hela after she turns down Loki, she just looks, like, bored, and she seems to find Tyr annoying. That, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so she's like, oh, man, if the entire universe is destroyed, I'm just going to be in this room with that guy. <laughs> yeah, so she got to a point where it's like, Gotta kick the hornet's nest. So Loki goes back in time with this pen that's made from the shadow of twilight. And he picks up where he left off with Leah's story of her saving the world. But then he just keeps writing and he's feverishly writing. And we don't get to see what he writes. But the narration reads, he told his lie to the best of his ability 
Because in the end, the lie you choose to tell defines you. The lies you cling to because the truth is too horrible to contemplate. The twilight pen is such an awesome metaphor because we are all writing our narrative with a twilight pen. We are constantly self-editing. We are trying to figure out who we are and who we want to be. So we're scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And we're doubting ourselves every step of the way. And to complete the metaphor, when Loki is writing with the twilight pen, he's writing into the book of the serpent and it's becoming literal truth. So while we're in the present moment, writing with our twilight pens, creating our narrative, at that time, we might not feel like a good and kind person, but if we choose to do the good and kind and generous thing, that will become the literal truth. Yeah, actions become truth. Not whatever this voice you have going on on in your head saying you have to continue to feel guilty or you have to continue to feel like the the bad guy or the wicked witch. Yeah, ignore Eichel. Yeah. But for this narrative's sake, in changing that, Leah ultimately does not betray him and everything works out. Oh, yeah? Everything works out, Brad? Microphone's off, we're done? Uh, Well, okay. I mean, mean, it, it does say happily ever after, but it gets complicated, like all things with Loki. In the next issue... What Wilson did, ending Otherworld, causes all of the Manchester machines in all of the realms to begin exploding, and then everybody cries out in unison, like, Loki! Loki did it! I I don't know how they know that. It's just like a sense. Well, Freya did say it was going to come down to something that Thor and Loki did. So they go like, ah, the boys did it. We're cool. Phew. And Loki goes back to Muspelheim, where Thor is still fighting Surtur, and Thor goes like, okay, you did it. I acknowledge that, but now we're done. And it feels like we're done like as brothers. Right. Like our relationship is over. And Loki goes, says what he always says, like, you did your thing, you were fighting Surtur, you're doing with the hammer thing that you do so good, and I did my thing. And everything's fine again. And I got this gift for you, Twilight Shadow. And if you, like, connect it with Mjolnir, you'll have this really mighty weapon. It locks in just like Legos. (laughs) Like, I love that moment. Like, it was just something I had never considered. Like, that was a possibility. So when you see Thor wielding this Mjolnir Twilight Shadow, it is a really nifty-looking weapon. And he jabs it right in Surtur's throat. The problem is, if you kill Surtur, his... Fire has to go somewhere, and they need to get dear old dad Odin to absorb that. But Odin doesn't do anything just because he needs to be tricked. And what I love is that it's Thor's idea to send Loki and Leia to pretend to be Freya to lure Odin back. I I love that the best prank Thor can think of is something that the little rascals would do or or the or the Muppets would do like okay now Leah stand on Loki's shoulders and put on a trench coat and pretend to be Freya (laughs) it works though it does work and Odin does come back and he's there at that moment to absorb Surtur's fire I do think that Thor agreeing or actually proposing to do a trick is a kind of olive branch for Mm. Loki like uh, this is a situation where 
I can't punch my way out of this, so we are going to do your thing. We're going to do a trick. So he sort of reneges on the animosity that he just showed a few pages earlier, right? So Loki has now won his brother back. And now we're happily ever after, headphones off, we're done with this podcast. But wait! There's more because what? Loki returns to Leah's cave and she's there with a shirtless guy. And he's like, what? Oh, yeah. All the son of Satan Hellstrom stuff. Through his haze, he goes like, Loki, remember that crown you made with your imagination where it's like a crown for like seven heads, but also like it's like one crown. And Loki's like, yeah. And he's like, Mephisto's got it. Oh, no. And Loki comes to the conclusion that Eichel is in cahoots with Mephisto, so he's got to go find his magpie friend. Yeah, he immediately starts looking for his bird, and Leah goes like, you realize that your bird is not real. Your bird is like Snuffleupagus. <laughs> like, your, your bird is an imaginary friend. We've never seen him. And Loki goes like, that's true. Eichel is a separate narrative that lives inside my head that I have to face. Yeah, I have to reckon with this bird. And he excuses himself and he goes, Leah, I may be gone a long time. And we know that it is, in fact, forever. Right. So the afterword of everything burns that occurs in Journey into Mystery is why we did this whole podcast, right? This is the Loki and Loki confrontation. The one man... 69, dudes! (laughs) We haven't said 69. (laughs) This is episode 69. We have not made reference to it. Up top, Lisa. So Loki goes to Eichel, who now no longer appears as a, a magpie. He appears as his old self again. And Eichel tells Loki, Mephisto plans to put this crown on tomorrow. So the only way for this crown to cease to be is for you to cease to be because it is made of your imagination stuff. And there's no way you can think your way out of this one because the timeline is just too tight. Yeah, it's such a horrible ending and an unexpected ending. I was really struck by this death of kid Loki. Um, Was not anticipating it based on the journey that we had with not only Everything Burns, but everything that came before Everything Burns from fear itself through Journey into Mystery. But it is a logical, if cynical, end to Loki's story because throughout this entire Everything Burns event, Loki has been trying to change despite this past, but everybody continues to treat him like He's Eichel, like he's this bad guy who can't be trusted. And because of that, he's had to fall back on his old ways. Like, so even if you try to be this whole new person, your past acts like this mold that you have to fill. And you see that in real life, right? People will shackle you to your history and sometimes to free yourself of the person you were and the person you no longer want to be, you have to also shed your family, shed your old friends. Like that is an option that people have. But Kid Loki started this story 
wanting to like redeem himself by embracing Asgard and Midgard in a way he never did before. So in doing that, he was doomed to fail. Could he have survived and had a glorious new life as Kid Loki if that had not been the jumping on point for this story? If it had actually been like, I'm going to go out and do my own thing. Could he have redeemed himself? Of, I mean, of course, but this is comics. Right. And Loki does have to go back to being this lord of mischief. Right, right, right. And so the ultimate uh, shackle is Marvel Comics itself. And, you know, one of the reasons we did this podcast is because of our listener, Andy W., who sealed the deal on us choosing Everything Burns by sending us a Kieran Gillen Tumblr post where he expressly discusses why he had to kill Kid Loki on his own terms because he knew if he didn't, somebody else was going to do that anyway because a new movie would be coming out, blah, 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 and classic evil Loki would have to return. So it was on him to do it in a satisfying way to complete his story. And in a way that does honor Kid Loki. Right. And if you want to read that Tumblr post from Kieran Gillen, look to the show notes. There's a link to it there. Uh, I, I honestly think that it elevates the story as a whole if you read that article. It turns this particular issue into something way more meta. You realize that the entire Journey into Mystery storyline is this incredibly meta experience, and it's this conversation that Kieran Gillen is having regarding the process of making comic books. And how you kind of are locked in as a writer with your characters, right. where perhaps in other creative endeavors, you get more free reign. Yeah, and that's the beauty and the hell of it. So the way Kid Loki has to cease to be is to essentially release the steering wheel of his brain car right. and allow Eichel to completely take over. So essentially in doing that, he dies. And Loki, Eichel, <laughs> says like, well, you know, a dead you is still you. And, Lo and Loki goes, see, now I'm confusing myself with the two Lokis. Loki goes like, well, you never, you never wanted to change in the first place. Like the entire reason I exist is because of this conceit that you wanted a second chance. But guess what? I have changed. I am a good person. Yeah, I'm victorious. So I won and you're doing what you always do. You're trying to grab at power Therefore, you lost, and you're going to have to live with that after I'm gone. Yeah, and the final pages of this book tripped me up the first time I read it, and I needed you to point it out to me. But when he says, you lost, and he bites down on the magpie, consuming it, the next page, Eichel is now in Kid Loki's body. and so, Kid Loki's dead. Yeah, Kid Loki's gone. Eichel's in full charge, and he says to himself, damn me, confirming that he knows that Kid Loki was right. Like, he has lost, but this is what he constructed. This is what he's going to play with. And uh, it makes him even more furious at Asgardia, right? At the people who have shackled him to who he is. Now he has some people to direct his pain towards 
even though it's the same people he's always directed his anger. It goes back to the first issue where it's like magpies. It doesn't matter how many other magpies are around. Magpies are always alone because they are just serving themselves. And I honestly think that Eichel is so lonely in who he is. Yeah, yeah. It, it's funny having, you know, read Kieran Gillen's blog post, uh, understood why he did what he did, and then going back to uh, articles that were released at the time of this book's publication and seeing all the outcry and frustration of the audience and how this really hurt them. Like this consumption of Kid Loki was a very painful act to read in the day. And uh, boy, I, I can certainly imagine it. I also think there is a, a another meaning to the end of this book besides like, you know, comic book characters can't change. Right. I think that just like you have to practice self-forgiveness and make peace with perhaps someone you, being someone you didn't admire in your past, you also have to make peace with times that you were good and pure in your past. Because we have this thing like when we go back on a behavior, like say we made a significant life change and then all of a sudden we fell back on old habits and old behaviors and we go like, oh, so that person in my past doesn't never existed. He clearly couldn't have been real. Failures. Because I'm a failure today. But if you're a failure today, that doesn't take away from who you were in your past. And it doesn't mean you can't uh, do another attempt, right? Like your history does not define you. It does define you, but it also is like, you should not be shackled to what you did. You should not assume that because that's how one direction went once, it's going to go that way this time. You can keep trying. Yeah, like I, I'm trying to go like, you are separate from your past. Like you can't change your past, but you are also not that person in your present. In the present, you are holding the twilight pen. You yeah. are in control. Yeah, yeah. And you also can't really change your future. Like your future is just going to happen to you. Yeah, it, it, it is interesting because I do imagine a story with Kid Loki where he had uh, set off on his own and he was able to um, achieve a victory and life without letting Eichel take over again. Well, and and it's hard not to come away going like the big villain of this is uh, Marvel Comics capitalism <laughs> <laughs> franchises, you know, that kind of thing. But what's also fascinating to me is like when Kieran Gillen made the decision, go like, look, you know, uh, Tom Hiddleston's Loki is coming back. He's the bad guy. He was the main villain of the Avengers. He, so we, we have to make kid Loki go away so that Eichel can take over and we have evil Loki again. But here we are now in 2021 and we just finished watching a Disney Plus series where Tom Hiddleston's Loki went through this exact same process with kid Loki and where I see him at the end of season one is he has changed. And now because Disney uh, is allowing 
Loki to be more than just a villain. Maybe the comic book version of the character can be more than just a villain. And so Kid Loki gets to win in Disney+. Plus. <laughs> but then that highlights the sadness of how few eyes are on comic books because comic book audiences once can't change a character the way that mainstream cinematic and television audiences can. And that really chaps my butt. I think that there's always potential for change in comics. And I think that uh, culturally, we are becoming more comfortable with juggling a bunch of different realities where we can go like, oh, look, I can appreciate Loki, MCU Loki, but I understand that he is separate from comic book Loki. And And you could do that even within comics. mm -hmm. Like, you could bring Kid Loki back. We can play with variants now. We can have multiple Lokis around for multiple reasons. A lot of those capitalist decisions uh, are made for an audience that, in fact, doesn't exist. Like, this single-minded entity that's just like, feed me! Like, we're people. We want evil Loki. We want all of the Lokis. But I don't want to leave this issue just yet because there is a very significant conversation between Thor and Kid Loki where Kid Loki says to Thor, like, look, if I come back and I'm bad, I need you to kill me. And Thor is like, no, I will always believe in you, which is a lie. We've seen him (laughs) not believe in Loki, but it is a key component to where eventually he will come around and he he can't help himself when it comes to his brother. He will always root for his brother, even when it really just infuriates him. And their conversation ends with Thor going like, you have to have faith in yourself. And Loki goes like, well, that's hilarious. (laughs) Because this conversation is happening under this agreement that he made with Eichel. Like, I can't really tell my brother what's going on. So I'm trying to give him this warning and he can't hear it because I can't tell him any of the specific details. But I think we've all felt that thing where somebody shows faith in you and you're like, you don't. You have no idea the failure I already have planned. (laughs) Big eye roll. (laughs) I think we can leave it there. This issue in particular left us with a lot to think about. And I'm just wondering, Brad, what are your takeaways from this adventure with self-forgiveness and Loki and Loki? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about Brene Brown when we covered her on the show and how she talked about how you can be a prisoner to your narrative. And, you know, so often that theme has come back in in my life where I think about, well, am I behaving because this is the story I'm telling myself? Or even, you know, when I get frustrated, uh, I, 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 I have put a narrative into others' heads. I've put a narrative into Lisa's head. This is what Lisa must be thinking. And ooh, that gets me so mad. <laughs> I, I think challenging narrative is important and, and freeing yourself of narrative is important. Writing your own story is super important. And you can change a sentence on a dime. Yeah, I think it's just a matter of awareness of, like, I'm holding the Twilight pen. I am writing my story right now. So if I was writing myself as a hero, what would I write? Yeah, like, yeah. And, 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 and again, reading these last two issues in particular, it's hard for me not to go, Loki, Asgard's the problem. 
you're not the problem. All these people telling you who you are, they're the problem. Uh, if they can't see you as somebody different, then you need to go find new friends and new family. I do think that Loki going around going like, I am the source of all chaos. I am the reason why everything is burning. I am the, I am solely responsible is an extension of Loki's pride. Yeah. Like yeah. for him to think that he is the linchpin around which all existence, uh, you know, is built is just like him going like, I am so powerful despite myself. Right, like, right. And I think that if he released some of that guilt and self-flagellation, resolutions would have been found sooner because everybody goes like, oh, you know, Loki's in the room. Therefore, I am not the worst. Yeah. You know, yeah, I am yeah. not responsible for my actions because I, I was under the, like, I was under the the influence of Loki. He, this is not a Sylvie situation. Loki didn't enter Wil Wilson's body and make a make a pact with Surtur. Like Wilson did that. Yeah, yeah. And like you know, the tension be between Acer and Vayner and this distrust because uh, Freyr made a pact with Surtur. Like yeah. Loki wasn't even. All the everything Burns was going to happen with or without Loki. And the truth is, Kid Loki's presence saved the day, right? It did save the day. And but I think that more people like the way Loki saved the day was by falling on the sword. And to me, I go like, if more people took responsibility for their actions. Loki wouldn't have had to do that. Mm, yeah. And could, could Loki could have continued to thrive. Yeah, yeah. I am interested to continue reading this version of Loki's stories. They go on in Kieran Gillen's uh, Young Avengers storyline. So Eichel in the body of Kid Loki has new friends, right? And it's like, I start thinking like, well, if if he had not released himself, if he had not bitten into that magpie and then gone off and joined the Young Adventures and and like made them his family could he have survived as as kid loki maybe i don't know but then of course there's this whole like mephisto crown thing yeah yeah i like if you and like if you imagine something into being can't you just unimagine it comics man i don't know <laughs> <laughs> uh but lisa is there anything else that uh, you're taking away from this everything burns story arc i leave this conversation also thinking about how I aspire to forgive others. Like mm. I want to try to literally clean slate it because a lot of times when you receive an apology and you give forgiveness in the back of your head, you're like going like, but this is conditional. Yes. Because the second that you do something even related to this slight, I'm going to take my forgiveness back and Very. I'm going to immediately bring back that old thing that you did. Very true. Uh, I've been guilty of that, certainly. Yeah, like going like, oh, somebody betraying me in the same old way is just like a like a justification of like, oh, yeah, so by, by forgiving you, I made a mistake and therefore like 
Yeah, uh, forgiveness is not forgiveness with conditions. Yeah, right? like I or with memory. You got to shed the memory. Yeah, yeah. I mean, shedding the memory is impossible. But I think separating the past person from the present person, going like, okay, this thing happened in the past, but the person who was in the past doesn't exist anymore. I'm dealing with the person standing in front of me right now. And I think that goes for self-forgiveness as well. When you find yourself going back on old habits, you go like, see, there you go. I'm just the same old trash I always thought that I was. And like, it's just, it's just like, yeah, we all um, let our past stories take over every once in a while. But it's that awareness of going like, yeah, Two seconds ago, I did this thing, but I can do better starting right now. Like every every moment is a chance to change your narrative. Yeah, I mean, the challenge is certainly for me, but I think for everyone, breaking the cycle of repetitive thinking. Yeah, because repetitive thinking almost like is an act of ego anyway. Right. Of you saying to yourself again and again, this is true, this is true, this is true. It's not necessarily true. Guilt is not penance. I think that's something I took away from the article is like, guilt doesn't actually fix anything and self-punishment doesn't actually change anything. So you just have to like, let that go. Yeah, yeah, so, hmm. There was a strategy in the article that I didn't talk about just cause I like, I, I didn't know how to fit it in, but I do think it's a good practice and it's called PERT, P-E-R-T, and I forget what that stands for, but it's the idea of like when you're having a repetitive or compulsive thought that you close your eyes, take three breaths, three slow breaths. The first two breaths, you're just thinking about relaxing, and on the third breath, you visualize something that makes you feel awe, like that specific thing of like, life is beautiful and I'm so grateful. And as a way of like going like, okay, um, uh, I'm gonna take that space that was filled with guilt or negative emotions. I'm just gonna let it empty out and then I'm going to refill the void with something that's positive. Well, that's a good practice. Uh, maybe I can try that instead of my be water thing, which is not necessarily working every time. Yeah, I think that it like the one thing about the article that I found super frustrating is like here's like 12 strategies R yes. for self-forgiveness and like that's a lot yeah, like to yeah. carry around in your head. But three breaths I can do. I I think articles like that are just like they're not saying like you have to memorize these 12 things. I think it's like okay, you want to have a lot of tools in your tool belt because your brain is like this really complicated, sometimes self-sabotaging thing that you have to deal with all of the time. And the same thing isn't going to work every single time. Right, right, right. You might need a hammer. You might need a screwdriver. You might need a wrench. You might need a shadow sword that <laughs> <Yeah>. you shove <laughs> into a hammer. And, yeah. and the, you're like, this wasn't even prophesied. Yeah. But we got to end this episode, Lisa, and talk about what we're going to discuss next week. So yes, this one pod stand with Loki and Loki is done, but we have another Disney Plus MCU show on the horizon dropping this Wednesday, what if? And 
we were going to talk about Green Arrow and Black Canary, and we've been away from DC Comics for so long, and I am sorry. We are going to get back there, and when we do, we're going to go back hard, but we got to do a what-if issue, <laughs> and I'm so crazy excited about this because we are going back to the very beginning of Comic Book Couples Counseling with Scott Summers and Jean Grey as experienced in What If, Volume 2, Issue 60, a What If X-Men Wedding Album, which presents not one What If scenario, but three What If scenarios. What if Scott Summers and Jean Grey had married earlier? What if Scott Summers and Jean Grey had never fallen in love at all? And what if Phoenix had fallen for Wolverine? Very, very, very excited, Lisa. Me too. And we'll have a little refresher on Gary Chapman and the five love languages because we're bringing that back as our love expert. It's like Eichel retaking over <laughs> the narrative. The evil guy is coming back. He's not entirely evil. We love the love languages. Uh, Chapman's got his problems. Who doesn't? But Brad, I'm actually feeling a little bit peckish. I feel like I could go for a bite of magpie that tastes suspiciously like my past self. So where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? You can find me on all social medias at Mouthdork. If you have words of affirmation for our logo, you can send them to Aaron Prescott at A Cool Hand Fluke. And if you have some words of affirmation for our radical banner art and new show poster, send them over to Karen Charm at Karen underscore X-Men fan. Lisa, where can our listeners send their words of affirmation to you? I am always accepting words of affirmation at Sidewalk Siren on Instagram and Twitter. If you'd like to spend more quality time with us, you can subscribe to us on Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, Google, and Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to get exclusive, <laughs> you can join our Patreon, where you'll get more content, including weekly bonus episodes. We have so many interviews over there, you guys. It's incredible. And We've spoke to some amazing people. Yes, yes, yes. So stay tuned. Uh, but if you'd like to reach out and touch us electronically, you can email the podcast, cbccpodcast at gmail.com. You can visit our website, comicbookcouplescounseling.com, or follow us on Instagram and Twitter at cbccpodcast. You can give us the gift of five stars on Apple Podcasts, and if you'd like to do an active service, why not write a review of the show while you're there? We are fluent and receptive in all five love languages. It really warms our hearts and helps the pod. So until next time, friends, keep your love tank full. And your psychic rapport open. You're probably right. Yeah, I think Loki, you know, uh, what's another word for cock blocked? Uh, he threw a wrench cock in. Yeah. <laughs> Ha <laughs> ha